Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. My primary interest is in being a voice and an advocate for victims of child maltreatment. And as the coronavirus was unfolding, you know, very rapidly upending people's lives in uh, dramatic and just totally unexpected ways, my mind immediately went to thinking about children who are most vulnerable in our society and how this is going to dramatically impact and affect their lives. So I launched the study thinking that perhaps we could capture a little bit of that from, granted from the perspective of parents, because we're not asking children these questions, but we surveyed about 560 adults, about 288 of them were parents, to kind of capture how their parenting practices are changing, how much time they're spending with their kids, whether they're homeschooling, kind of a whole host of factors related to the home environment and parenting behaviors. And it's worth noting, I, even though my, my primary interest is usually on thinking about child abuse and neglect and kids who are in the child protective services world, we did also, also ask quite a few questions about parenting warmth and closeness to try to balance out you know, both perspectives and paint a, a picture of what life is like for families during this really dramatic change. So we worked really quickly to put together an online survey in Qualtrics and included both closed and open-ended questions about a lot of different factors, actually. We asked about some mental health, depression, anxiety. We asked about parenting stress, how much time parents were spending with their children. We asked a lot of questions about economic resources, which we haven't even looked at yet or analyzed yet. And then parenting behaviors, parents' perceptions of social isolation, and then even some open-ended questions. How is your child coping? How would you describe your child's behavior? Has it changed? Has your parenting changed? So some open-ended questions. We launched the survey using a online platform called Prolific. Prolific is a basically a survey research company that allows researchers and, and other people to access an audience of people who are interested in doing surveys for money. So the respondents in the survey could earn $6 to complete the, the survey itself. It took about 20 to 30 minutes on average for most people to complete it. As I mentioned, we surveyed both parents and non-parents, so basically just adults over the age of 18. And about 50% of that sample were parents. To be honest, in, in many ways, we sort of found what we would have expected in the sense that we found that parents reported they were, in fact, spending quite a bit more time with their children. So out of our whole sample, and I should mention, we reported the data on parents of children zero to 12 because those are the children who need their parents the most to be able to kind of carry on with their daily routines. Uh, adolescents are a little bit of a different ball game, if you will. They're more independent. So some of these factors were a little bit less relevant to them. So among the parents of children between the ages of zero to 12, we found that parents did report that they were spending quite a bit more time with their children. About 86% said their children's school had been canceled. And parents reported that they were doing many more activities, just like you would expect. You're spending more time with your children. Parents said 
Uh, 68% said they're playing more games with their children. 63% said they're engaging in more educational activities in the last two weeks, playing with toys more, eating meals more, reading books more, and showing hugs and physical affection. 50% of the respondents said that they were doing that more with their children. 47% said they were cooking more. So really pretty much across the board, parents were saying, yes, as we would expect them to, they're doing a lot more activities with their kids. It was good for us to kind of confirm that what we would expect would be true. In addition, about half the parents also said they were worried about being able to pay bills. And 55% said they were worried that money would run out. So they're are a lot of competing demands, if you will. They're thinking about the financial and economic implications of the pandemic, as well as spending more time with their kids. And it's also notable that a lot of parents, again, we were asking about the last two weeks, so this is March 23, and the last two weeks then in many places would have included the point of time in which the White House announced the social distancing guidelines and many but not all states were, were closing down schools during that two-week time period. Parents said that they felt more close to their child. 89% said they feel close to their child. And 88% of parents said that they had shown love to their child in the past two weeks. So we were glad to show that there may be some positive aspects for many parents and many families of spending more time with their kids, even with all of the stress and pressures happening in the environment regarding coronavirus. We asked a series of questions about parenting stress. So how is coronavirus and the pandemic and all the related cascade of dynamics related to that affecting your parenting specifically? And 52% of the parents reported that financial concerns and worries were sometimes or often getting into the way of their parenting. And 50% said social isolation and social distancing were getting in the way of their parenting. 35% said sadness. And 27% said loneliness was getting in the way of their parenting, sometimes or often. I interpreted that to mean that, again, there's sort of a balancing act going on that parents are engaging in more activities and reporting more closeness. But a lot of parents, and in fact, the majority are saying that those worries, financial insecurities, and even the social distancing itself is getting in the way of them really being able to parent their child optimally. And again, this is parents saying that, you know, about themselves. So hopefully there's some degree of accuracy to that self-report data. Then we followed those questions by looking at punishment. And this is where we get more into where certain kinds of parenting behaviors can be risk factors for child abuse and neglect. So even though we did not ask about abuse specifically, we asked about behaviors that are considered to be risk factors that heighten the likelihood a child could be maltreated or abused including shouting, yelling, or screaming at a child, and slapping or spanking a child. And in those analyses, we found pretty high rates of shouting, yelling, or screaming, and spanking or slapping in the last two weeks. Again, short time frame, really trying to capture a snapshot of what's happening in the household. 61% of parents had said they shouted, yelled, or screamed at their child at least once in the past two weeks. And one out of five parents, 20%, said they had spanked, hit, or slapped their child in the past two weeks. So I would say that's a pretty high rate of yelling, screaming, and using physical punishment towards children. And 
The U.S. is a unique social context. It's not illegal for parents to slap or spank their child as long as they don't leave bruises. At the same time, we know that those types of behaviors in stressful moments can escalate and sometimes escalate very quickly into physical abuse and leaving marks, physically hurting a child, uh, even visits to the ER or the doctor. So that's why capturing that type of behavior, even though in many ways it's a quote unquote normal parenting behavior, to yell, scream, or even spank a child, it's something to be concerned about when in just the past two weeks, it's happening at a pretty high rate, 60% yelling, screaming, shouted, yelled, or screamed, and then one in five spanking or hitting. And then finally, so we were, you know, we didn't have a baseline for this survey. So a clear limitation is we're just doing this one snapshot. We don't know if this is an increase over what these parents would normally do in their day-to-day lives and parenting their children. So we asked parents, how much is this an increase over your usual behavior? How much is it the same as your usual behavior? How much is it even a decrease in your usual behavior? And so in that set of questions, 25% of parents said they were having more conflicts with their children in the past two weeks. 19% said they yelled, shouted, or screamed more often in the last two weeks. 15% said they increased their use of discipline in the last two weeks. And 5% said they spanked or hit more often in the last two weeks. I think that's the main summary thus far in terms of what we've been able to look at in the survey. We're still looking at data to kind of drill down and see if we can learn more about this and and how parenting is being affected. In the qualitative responses, we did see parents describing some of their challenges. So for example, I thought a notable comment is, my younger child is autistic and is struggling with the big changes happening as well as the loss of therapies. He's more anxious and aggressive than usual. Now that to me is a very poignant statement because Children who have special needs or IEPs in their school setting who really thrive on the routines and the therapies that they're getting and the attention they're getting in school, the specialized care they're getting in school are not going to have that special care. And that's tough for the children and really tough for parents who are also not going to get a break from parenting their special needs children. And so although we don't you know, know that for sure that this will, this school closures and everything that's happening with the pandemic will lead to more child abuse and neglect. I'd say it's certainly a worthy concern given what we know about child abuse and neglect. For example, special needs kids are at greater risk for child maltreatment. Young children, actually babies and infants are at higher risk. And interestingly, most of the reports to Child Protective Services, a large number come from educators. So teachers and professionals in school settings that see kids every day and are the ones who reach out and raise a red flag when something's alarming them about the child's behavior or the child's appearance or whatever the case may be. And so those children are now no longer going to have that special person looking out for them and potentially calling in a troubling behavior or calling in a concern for child protection to investigate. So anyway, on the whole, you know, there's some probably some positives for many families that will come out of spending more time with your kids. I, for one, have a one and a half year old. I'm having a lot of fun spending more time with her, you know, and observing her toddler behavior, which is hysterical. I have the benefit, personally, a supportive partner, and I'm not at risk of losing my job, at least in the near future. And so I'm not 
facing the stresses that a large, large number of American parents are going to be facing during this very troubling time. I think the big takeaway should be that on the whole, the coronavirus and the COVID-19 pandemic is really illustrating the weakness of our safety net in the United States and the dramatic inequalities. I think I predict and many others are predicting is really gonna have a differential impact on Americans um, and those who are already vulnerable and marginalized are gonna be impacted the most, most likely. And so to me, the big takeaway is that although children are not being affected physically as much by the, the pandemic compared to older adults or the elderly, we really need to think about the social safety net for children and what happens when there's these enormous disruptions to life. How are children going to get food if they're not getting free lunches from the school? How are abused and maltreated children going to have fewer services? And how can we build a social safety net that really accounts for and thinks about the well-being of vulnerable children better. So for example, one point of advocacy might be to think, you know, as social workers or other professionals who work with children um, to advocate for better mental health services for children. So when we do return to normal functioning, thinking about can we enhance social work and psychological services to children through schools to help address some of the inevitable trauma from the upheaval of the pandemic itself and also potentially from other things that are happening in their home environment. Can we do more at the state level and at the federal level to advocate for women, infants, children, WIC services that provides formula and diapers and food to low-income families? What about increasing the food stamps level for families uh, through the SNAP or Supplemental Nutritional Assistance Program? So there's actually a lot of takeaway points. And I think to me, building that social safety net and hopefully making it stronger for children and especially abused and neglected children is an enormous takeaway. I might also add thinking about advocating for maltreated kids in particular and that what their special needs might be and prevention of child maltreatment. We just do not do a good job of helping families who are vulnerable, even in the very early stages of right after a baby's born, the first few years. I think we need stronger prevention services to prevent child abuse and neglect from happening in the first place. So those are a few maybe of the points. Even though our study, honestly, the sample was a fairly advantaged sample. I didn't I mean, if you look at the demographics, you know, it's a mostly white and maybe middle to higher, not necessarily higher, but middle income sample. So it probably doesn't really actually accurately illustrate all the risks that kids might be facing. But at the same time, hopefully we can use these, this study and other studies like it as a tool to just advocate for what kids really need when this pandemic winds down. I was hoping to basically readminister the survey in two to four weeks and to sort of see if the trend is in the same direction. Are things getting better? Are things getting worse? I mean, it's very possible actually families just kind of accommodate to the situation and, and possibly things improve. It's possible that for some families, things are going to deteriorate as the pandemic wears on, as unemployment losses continue, and as schools are canceled for the rest of the year. So I kind of expect we'll see both, both things happen. Some families kind of accommodate to the situation and adjust, and others really, really struggle, and that might be a significant minority. So I do hope that we could readminister the survey in a relatively short time frame and kind of continue taking a snapshot 
of families just over the course of the pandemic. Maybe this will illustrate some things that we can do better as a society for families during the next crisis that will inevitably happen someday. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.